Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, January 20th, 2013. YNR is ripping my heart out right now. Jamie showed back up this week and revealed that he's homeless. This poor kid who never did anything to anyone, practically an orphan, is now living on the damn dirty streets of Genoa City when he had a perfectly good home with Lauren and Michael and would have stayed with Lauren and Michael if not for that brat, Fen. I'm so disappointed because I've really started feeling affectionate for this kid. He is such a sweetheart. He finally comes back to Michael and Lauren this week after having gone missing. And Michael and Lauren are so happy to see him. They welcome him back with open arms. He's been living on a rooftop in the winter, in the cold. And they just want to take him in and give him a place to stay. And Jamie wanted that. He's tired of running. And here Michael and Lauren are being so kind to him and offering him help that he desperately needs. And it's only because Fen is bullying him that Jamie has not been accepting it. I mean, Fen's been sending them these horrible text messages. Jamie had found out that it was Fen that was sending these text messages. But nonetheless, Michael and Lauren are his only hope, his only option. So he goes back to them, and it seems for a moment that maybe Fen is just going to let Jamie stay there. Because Fen promises Michael and Lauren that now that Jamie is back... He's going to let them work it out. Even after Jamie had, <laughs> Jamie comes to see Michael and Lauren, says, yes, I'm going to come back and stay with you, but I just need to go back to my hiding space and get some of my stuff and I'll be right back. Fen follows Jamie to this place where he's been staying, sees that it's a cold rooftop on top of a building downtown, and Fen still has no compassion for this kid. Comes home, pretends like he's going to make it work to Michael, to his mom and dad, saying, yeah, you know, we'll work it out. I, I, you know, we need to help Jamie. And then turns around and sets the kid up for stealing, essentially. Jamie left his backpack at Michael and Lauren's house. Fen goes, finds a trinket box that Lauren had been given for Christmas, takes it, stashes it, in Jamie's backpack that I wanted to strangle Fen, but I also thought at the same time, why does it have to be so serious? Because it would have almost been funnier if Fen would have set Jamie up for something creepier, like <laughs> having a crush on Lauren or something. I would have enjoyed it about a million times better if rather than putting something valuable in Jamie's bag, he would have put one of Lauren's lingerie sets or something. That would have been more hilarious and setting Jamie up to make it look like he's creepily stealing Lauren's underwear or something. <laughs> but that's just my twisted mind. He then instead goes for the money angle, sets Jamie up for stealing this trinket box. Oh yeah, and decides to steal some money out of Lauren's wallet too. And keep, he keeps that for himself. But just to add a little bit of fuel to the fire to make it look like Jamie is stealing from them. When everything in Jamie's character says that he's not. You can tell by looking at this kid that he is genuine. He's not a thief. And it, I, I'm just so, so 
disappointed in Fen. He started off when he came to Genoa City on such a good note. He was the good kid. Summer was the bad kid. And now he's become this evil villain. I do like that Paul is taking an interest in him because there really is you know, supposedly a a parallel between Fen and the path he's on and the path that Ricky has, you know, took. And Paul sees that he, you know, Michael has identified Fen's behavior as a red flag and Paul has started to take an interest in Fen. So Paul sees Fen while he's hanging out at the coffee house and starts to ask him some questions just about Jamie and how he feels. I think Paul sees this as a way to redeem himself. Like, if he helps get Fen back on the right track, then maybe that's going to help ease his conscience for everything that happened with Ricky. But Fen is just bad, and he's saying cryptic things to Paul, like, yeah, Jamie won't be around for very long. I've found a way of handling it. And just suspiciously, he says that. So, you know that... He's up to something, and I'm so, I'm just so disappointed in this damn kid. (laughs) So Jamie goes back to the apartment right about the time when Michael and Lauren are realizing that there's some stuff missing and that they're going to have to at least confront Jamie, at least ask him. I don't know why they didn't even think about asking Fenn about it. They asked Jamie about it first in sort of an accusatory way. I think that they were trying to cushion it, but they seemed to believe that it was a very good possibility Jamie had taken these things. So they asked him about it and Jamie was so hurt. He really thought that he was going to be able to just stay with them and maybe everything would be okay. This kid's life is destroyed in every conceivable way. And for a moment, he had a safe harbor. And Michael and Lauren, because of Finn, turned around and sort of ruined that for him. It was really horrible. The scene where they were confronting Jamie was just really, it was so terrible. I'm like, why in our do what you have to do here, but stop ripping my heart out for this kid. I'm I'm bleeding here for this child. Jamie is so devastated that Michael and Lauren don't trust him. So he runs away. He you know, leaves the apartment feeling really, really awful. And we see a scene of Finn creeping around outside of the apartment, realizing that he, he had done the job, that his little trick worked, and he's happy. By the way, I have to tell you, I am getting a little bit tired of these scenes with Fen brooding. Like, he's in the hallway just giving a little bit... He's in the hallway outside of the apartment, kind of giving a little bit of a brooding smile. Like, (laughs) like really playing up the villain aspect. And it's kind of over the top, I think. Every time we see a scene of Fen just practically twisting his little mustache, it takes me out of the moment, I have to say. I've... I, I don't, it's as if they're really trying to revisit the Ricky storyline, but do it differently this time. And I, I, I don't think it's going to work quite as well. I mean, we all know a lot of people hated Ricky when he came onto the scene because he had very similar behavior to Fens. But in the end, we all kind of started liking Ricky. Most people really kind of turned the page, but it was after they already let the actor go, already planned on killing him, that we all started feeling that way. So I wonder if YNR is trying to redeem themselves a little bit here. Although, I'm sorry, 
the difference is Ricky had a reason to be upset with his parents and to start doing this bad these bad things. Ricky had a mother who was in a mental hospital, a father that never paid any attention to him. Fen is just a spoiled brat. Michael and Lauren have never given him anything but love and support and probably everything he's ever wanted. It's not the same. It doesn't evoke the same kind of empathy for Fen that it did for Ricky. I have no empathy for Fen at this point. He's just being a little jerk for no reason, and I'm not feeling it at all. I I, I don't even know if there it's, there's going to be any possibility of me forgiving Fen in the future. It's just, the whole thing, it's over the top, and it feels so unmotivated. So, so I don't know. Why is Fen so insecure that he has to torture this poor kid. I do think the actor is doing a very good job of holding himself like he is Michael's son. I don't know if you noticed, just some of his body language. He definitely gives me Michael's son vibe. I just don't get where he became evil. That's where it's gone off the track a little bit for me. But, (sighs) Fen is outside, you know, in the hall, twirling his mustache and he follows Jamie as Jamie runs out um and meanwhile by the way inside the apartment still Michael and Lauren are feeling terrible that they just pushed Jamie away and Michael has an instinct that Fen might have been behind it he just has a little bit of a feeling that Jamie's reaction was genuine, that he really didn't steal it. And if if he didn't steal it, then there's only one other person who could have been behind it. So they're feeling bad. Meanwhile, Fenn is ready to go and enact, you know, put the, the final steps on his plan. Fenn follows Jamie up to this rooftop hiding place that he has. And just as Jamie is taking out his backpack, he opens it up and realizes that that trinket box is in his backpack, and furthermore, that Fen set him up. So just as Jamie is having this realization, Fen steps into the scene and takes a little picture with his little camera of Jamie holding the trinket box. Like, he's gonna really, that's gonna be the final setup. Like, like Fen's gonna run in to Michael and Lauren and say, Mom, Dad, I caught Jamie, and here he is on camera, and that's not gonna be suspicious. The kid has a long way to go before he becomes the mastermind, before he becomes the Adam or the Ricky of the show. It's, it's, his plans are always kind of half-baked. But Jamie realizes that he's been set up yet again. He has gotten his hopes up and then gotten them dashed. So he confronts Fen and says, you set me up, and pushes him. And a fight ensues. They start pushing each other and getting all aggressive. Problem is, they're on a rooftop. Totally dangerous place to have an argument or any kind of physical altercation. So they're fighting. The, that scene ends. The, the, the next scene begins and Paul, who is, has learned that Jamie is missing and based on the conversations he had had with Fen and, you know, Fen had told 
uh, Paul about uh, Jamie's hiding place on a rooftop. Paul shows up on the rooftop. Neither Fen or Jamie are anywhere to be found. Paul looks over the edge of the roof, and there is Jamie lying all contorted on the ground below, looking like his neck is broken. I was so mad. I was furious when I saw that. (laughs) This kid is so sweet. He is all about Mr. Baldwin and Mrs. Baldwin and yes and please and thank you. And he's a little orphan Annie. And now he's laying on the ground contorted on the floor. And I swear to you guys, if if Lionar kills this kid, I I don't know what I'm going to do. I... I will be furious. YNR <laughs> kills kids. They'll just kill a kid. <laughs> and I'm not okay with it. It's like maybe they can get away with killing a kid once every 10 years. We just had the reunion of Cass or the, 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 the what do you call it? Uh, I don't know, Cassie's birthday uh, just passed uh, last week. And now all of a sudden, Jamie looks like he's dead on the ground. <sighs> it's not confirmed that he's dead yet. Jamie is in the hospital. Paul finds him, takes him to the hospital, calls Lauren. Lauren shows up. Then Michael shows up later. They say that he is unconscious. I swear they better not kill him. They freaking better not kill him. (laughs) And I hope he remembers everything. He needs to remember everything and tell Michael and Lauren what a little horrible person that their son has become. And I want them to just ship Fen off to boarding school or something. Just something. I'm, I'm over it. It's Fen is bad and not even in a good way, in a way that makes, I mean, I genuinely hate him. It's not even a, a love hate. I genuinely hate him. Later, after, you know, Michael and Lauren are all at the hospital, they're calling Fen to try to find out what happened, if he knew anything about Jamie, and Fen is panicking. He's just got this, you know, look on his face like he's guilty. I don't think that Fen pushed Jamie off the roof. I don't think it was that. I don't think he's a killer. I don't get that vibe. I think it just happened. I think they were struggling and arguing and Fen was trying to fight back and probably Jamie just fell off the roof. I don't think it was intentional that Fen killed him. That's not the impression I get. I think... Ben is acting guilty because of everything else that happened, because he set Jamie up, and he did in many ways click over the domino that caused this effect and caused this poor kid to be in a coma in the hospital. And he Fen texts Summer trying to, you know, get some help. He wants to talk to someone, realizing that he's gonna be in trouble. And Michael and Lauren are furiously trying to get a hold of him. He shows up at the hospital and is playing all like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. I'm so concerned about Jamie. This is terrible. But it's so obvious. It's so obvious that something is not right here. And Lauren doesn't entirely want to think the worst of her son, obviously. Her default reaction is Finn didn't have anything to do with this. There's no way Finn knew anything about it. He wasn't involved in it any in any way. But Michael, because of his relationship with Paul and having been through Ricky's death with Paul, Michael has that nagging feeling in the back of his head that Fen could have seen something or, worst case scenario, been 
involved in it. So Michael confronts Fenn, and Fenn's reaction is so big. How could you think that of me, Dad? What would make you, well, why don't you trust me? It was so big that it was just a moment of, he protests too much. And it, it became blatantly obvious to me. I think or Michael doesn't want to think this about his son, but having this experience with Paul has really colored him, and he knows what to look out for. And he's right. Michael is right. I So I don't know. I don't know if Jamie is going to wake up and remember everything and rat him out. I don't even know if Jamie is going to wake up. I, the only, the thing that I'm just waiting for to be revealed is, I mean, Finn's got to get caught on this one way or another, and let's not forget, he still has that picture of Jamie in the trinket box on his phone, or on his phone, or on his camera. He took that picture of Jamie, which places him at the scene, Sharon is doing a bang-up job at Newman Enterprises. She actually is. Sharon's taking her job there very seriously. It has put her in a position of being stuck between two foes, uh, Adam and Billy. They're co-CEOs of the company, and they're both struggling for control, especially now that everybody kind of realizes Adam is not leaving. So they are trying to test Sharon and see if she agrees with Adam or if she agrees with Billy on certain business proposals. And Sharon is doing a really good job of balancing herself in between and sort of agreeing with both of them and being a neutral party. And it's so bad. Billy and Adam working together and yet against each other at the same time is a recipe for disaster. I think it's only a matter of time until Victor regains control of his company one way or the other. He's got many, many irons in the fire right now, and one way or the other, he's going to get Newman back. The interesting part of this that I'm looking forward to hearing you guys talk to me about is Mason. Mason has become a flip-flopper. He is giving away information to Victor. Mason was supposed to be, he was hired by Jack. He was supposed to be on Jack's side. Sarge was the one that got him that job. And now, because Victor is always sniffing around in the lobby of Newman Enterprises, Mason has decided to flip-flop. And the thing is, I am kind of glad that he is. It makes Mason more interesting to me. I think that Billy has, you know, Adam's been a little bit of a jerk to him. Billy has been a little bit of a jerk to him. I mean, Billy comes into the office and gives Mason a croissant. And then with the, you know, with the, the, the next, you know, with one hand and with the next hand, he's practically throwing him out of the office, kind of treating him like he's the help. Um, and I, I think everybody, you know, Mason is essentially a very qualified business guy who's in a secretarial position. And he's not having it. He wants to get in on the action. He's very ambitious. And so I think, why why wouldn't he turn coat? Everybody else in this town is constantly flip-flopping, so why wouldn't he? Victor shows up, and Mason straight up tells Victor, I... I want to meet with you. I want to I want to give you information. I think there are some things that I could offer you. So Victor says, all right, you can meet me at the athletic club for a drink later. 
So Victor and Mason go and they have their little meeting at the athletic club in public. I'm all for Mason turning coat, but (laughs) why would you meet with Victor, the enemy, in public, in a public place? There's got to be some kind of secret meeting place that Victor has, but Victor doesn't care. It's not his butt on the line. Mason tells him that he just wants to be on the winning team. It's for him not about money. It's really more about his career. Mason has seen that Jack, you know, has a drug problem. Stuff is going on there. Things at Newman are not stable. And the only thing that has been stable around there is Victor's constant uh, efforts to try to get the company back. So Mason wants to be on the winning team. He tells Victor that he will provide him with information, inside information on what's going on at the company in exchange for a real job. As soon as Victor takes back over the company, he just wants to have a real job there. And Victor agrees. What's he got to lose? You know, this kid, he Victor's obviously in the upper hand position, and this kid just... I think has good intentions. I really think he just kind of wants uh, a little bit of success for himself. Problem is, as a result of this public meeting, Sarge comes back into Genoa City and sees his nephew there dining with the enemy. And... (laughs) Sarge is completely clueless. Sarge doesn't know anything about anything that's been going on with Jack. Apparently, he has been out of town with no access to the media, didn't know anything about Jack's heart attack, doesn't know anything about any of this drama, starts scolding his nephew. I really like Sarge. I kind of wish Sarge would be around a little bit more often. He's so common sense. He just says to Mason, I got you this job. And I don't think it's right that you're trying to side with Victor. You have no reason to trust him. Jack is a trustworthy person. I know him. You should stick with him. And there was just a little bit of a confrontation between uncle and nephew that was interesting to me. And I'd like to see some more of it. But it's too late at this point. Mason has already drawn that line. He's decided to give information to Victor. Whether or not Victor needs it, I don't know. Victor has his own plans. In fact, Victor quite boldly called a press conference at Newman Enterprises, a company that he doesn't own. Or, no, he owns, I guess he has shares, but he's no longer involved in the running of. Just calls a press conference, an outsider calls a press conference in the Newman, uh, I don't know, what was it, the foyer. And he is standing up there getting ready to drop some kind of bomb. What's he going to say? What's he going to say? Victor just stands there with his arms crossed behind the podium. In a, a move only Victor could pull off. Most people would put their hands on the podium or, you know, some kind of business stance. Victor's just standing there very moody with his hands crossed. Yes, that's right, I'm Victor Newman. Victor Newman has something to say to you and I suggest that you all listen. <laughs> Victor's like a millisecond away from telling the press that Jack has a drug addiction, that he was caught up in this scandal with this dead hooker and that it was a congressman's wife. He was going to tell a congressman's daughter. He was going to tell everybody everything when Nikki walks in and stops the press conference cold. She just says, uh, there's a family emergency and I need to talk to Victor. Please excuse us. They rush off into the office and Nikki scolds him right off the bat. She says, what are you doing? You promised me that you weren't going to tell people about Jack's addiction. You understand better than anyone what it's like 
to live with somebody who has an addiction. I am a former addict. And you said that you weren't going to use this against him. It's not right. It's not fair play. And I'm not going to stand by you if you do it. She totally gave him an ultimatum. If you break this promise to me, I'm not going to be here for you anymore. And uh, Victor, God, I'm so mad about this. Victor totally blew her off. He said something to the effect of, well, when did I ever care in the past who stands by me? You think I give a damn who stands by me and who doesn't? I'm Victor Newman. I will do as I please. (laughs) It's so hard to like him. It really is. And I hate that this whole thing with Jack is causing problems in Nikki and Victor's relationship because I really thought we were getting to a place where they could be stable. I am tired of the ultimatums. I am tired of Victor breaking promises to Nikki. I thought we were past this, and apparently we are not. And if it weren't for Billy busting up in the room and offering his own ultimatum to Victor, he still would have done it. Victor, 100%, I'm sure, would have walked past Nikki, probably practically pushed her aside to go out and give his little press conference because I think he feels, ultimately, that he will be able to just get Nikki back. That it doesn't really matter what he ever does, Nikki will just come back to him. And it's probably true! So that was his gamble. But Billy comes in, and he stops this, you know, he realizes that Victor's about to blow the whistle, and so he gives Victor his own ultimatum and in effect it was kind of I think a bluff this is where the whole card playing scenario that he was going through with Victoria last week comes into play Billy tells Victor if you go ahead with this press conference I as the CEO am going to dismantle this company I am going to take very important parts of your beloved Newman Enterprises and I'm going to sell them off to the highest bidder how you gonna feel about that Victor's response, well, that's not going to make your wife very happy now, is it? Victoria walks in the door and says, I support Billy 100%. If you do this, I will absolutely support him in selling the company off. So this is the only thing that changes Victor's mind. It says so much. Like Nikki giving him an ultimatum means nothing. He's so willing to throw away that relationship, but Billy offering to sell off piece of pieces of his company. Oh well, that's a totally different story. Victor walks back out to the to the press who's waiting there and says, "Uh, never mind. <laughs> I will reveal all to you later. Right now, I can't." <laughs> Just walks away from the press conference, leaves the press standing there like, uh, huh? Yeah, I'm sure that they'll really, really appreciate that. Really, really appreciate that. Victor goes back into the office where Nikki and Billy and Victoria are all sitting there or standing there. And actually, I think, um, I think uh, Victoria and Nikki left. They sent the little women out of the room. And Billy and Victor have a conversation in which... Victor decides, all right, if I'm not going to go to the press, my second best option is blackmail. Which really, probably, this would have been the route he should have taken in the first place. Victor tells Billy to go to Jack and tell his brother that if he doesn't immediately relinquish control of Newman Enterprises, then he is going to tell the press everything. So, trying to force Jack's hand, which really would have been the thing to do in the first place. Why does he have to go this long way around meeting with the press and blowing everything up for Jack? He... 
anything that he does to damage Jack's reputation at this point is only going to damage the company. So the blackmail thing really should have been your first option. That's fine. Whatever. If that's the ultimatum, let that be the ultimatum. Whatever you do, Victor, just do me a favor, okay? Stop calling Billy Billy Boy every time you're in the room together. It's, oh, Billy Boy, oh, Billy Boy, Billy Boy, Billy Boy. I'm tired of it. Stop. Jack and Phyllis are at the cabin, still going through Jack's withdrawal recovery, when Phyllis gets a call that Summer is sick, and Phyllis decides to leave Jack. She feels like she has to be there for her daughter, so she leaves him, which I was very surprised about. Phyllis has been there for Jack in every way, and now just because Summer has the flu, Phyllis has to leave him? It's... like a really bad idea to leave an addict who's fiending and can easily probably make a telephone call and get some more pills, which is exactly what I thought was going to happen. I thought the second Phyllis left the room, Jack was going to be on the phone trying to get some more pills from someone because he's going through physical withdrawal and he's being really moody and really mean. He was begging her for more of the withdrawal medication. So obviously he wanted it. I was just very surprised that she left him alone. I thought that was the wrong move to make. Then again, Jack has had a real wake up call with Uh, you know, over the pills with the dead hooker thing. The dead hooker thing really put things into perspective for him and his drug addiction. (laughs) P.S. I'm really kind of getting tired of having to say the phrase dead hooker. (laughs) I'm shocked that this storyline even came into existence and annoyed that I have to continue to say the phrase dead hooker. It's beneath us okay (laughs) this is the young and the restless not csi um i'm not into it at all i wish that this part of the storyline would just go away i'm tired of saying dead hooker i'm tired of jack being associated with a dead hooker Uh, it's it's it is it's just beneath us (laughs) but when phyllis leaves Jack decides to make a phone call to Adam. He's really not as interested in drugs as he is interested in uh, the business stuff. He realizes that somebody is snooping around the cabin. He can see the shadow of someone. And so Jack tricks the guy and steps away from the cabin just as the guy, who is Victor's P.I., Victor sent his private investigator up there to see what Jack was up to, the P.I. walks into the cabin and starts snooping around. Well, Jack totally faked him out and catches him and says, what are you doing here? What, you know, who are you? The P.I. <laughs> tries to cover at first and say that he's a reporter, but Jack sees right through it. He says immediately, all right, so Victor hired you. What What is it exactly that you're here to find? And the P.I. is, like, the worst P.I. ever. This is no Paul Williams here, let me tell you. He cracked like an egg under Jack's very light questioning. <laughs> he, Jack was like, 
so what are you here for? And the PI's like, no, I'm not going to tell you. And then Jack's like, no, really, what are you here for? And then the PI just spills everything, says he was here for Victor. I mean, it was such a ridiculous scene, saying that uh, he revealed that, of course, Victor hired this per you know, hired the hooker um, to catch him in a scandal, and but then wasn't able, you know, d didn't uh, anticipate her dying, and also further revealed that she's actually a congressman's daughter. Just tell, told Jack everything. Jack is 100% up to speed. Uh, actually, what Jack had done was offered to pay the guy. He said something like, well, either I can pay you or I can expose you or something like that. But I don't know why the PI just decided to flip-flop and be on Jack's side all of a sudden. That was kind of irritating. But the guy leaves... Nothing more to do. Goes back to Genoa City. Totally lies to Victor. Has completely, like, decided to be on Jack's side. And when Phyllis gets back to the cabin, Jack is changed. He has realized fully everything that has just transpired. And Phyllis catches him actually on a phone call, I think, with Adam, and he mentions Stephanie's name again. And Phyllis just really, really laid it out flat. I want to know who Stephanie is. You need to tell me the story. What is it? Starts pressing him. And Jack told her everything. He's just tired of covering it up. He's tired of lying about it. His entire life for the last several months has been nothing but a cover-up. And so he tells Phyllis exactly what happened, that this woman died on his floor and that Adam helped him cover it up. Well, Phyllis freaks out at first. She cannot believe that this is happening to her again. It was like deja vu for her. She just had to dispose of an accidental dead body on her living room floor a couple of months ago. And now here it is with Jack again. And she didn't sign up for this. She came up to the cabin to help him get off of the pills, not help him cover up a, you know, a dead body. So this is, this is not what she's into. But... As the conversation progresses, Jack starts to change. You can really tell that he is having a realization that he's on the wrong path, that the man he has become is not the man that his father would be proud of, not the man that he's proud of. He's not who he wants to be right now. So he and Phyllis come back to Genoa City. They're hanging out in his living room. And Jack starts to realize that the only way he can get this off his conscience, what's happened with Stephanie, is if he confesses. He wants to tell the police everything. And Phyllis is discouraging him completely. Like, no, you don't want to do that. And then Adam comes over and Adam's like, no, you don't want to do that. Why would you want to tell the police everything? I mean, especially since... Adam, Adam is like, was not about to let that happen. Adam already disposed of the dead body, did him that favor, is not going to go down because of it. But Jack is convinced. He calls Michael over to his house and he confesses everything, just tells him everything about what happened, except he omits the part about Adam having covered it up. Jack said that he covered it up. And Michael did seem sympathetic. Michael did seem to appreciate that Jack was telling the truth, um, and he said he would talk to the police and see what they would do about reduced charges, because Jack is confessing to being an accessory to a murder here. This could mean that he could go to jail, and nobody wants that for him, but he just feels that's the only way he can get it off his chest. Michael had to leave because the whole Jamie thing happened, so we'll see 
if Jack is going to have any legal repercussions from this, I'm sure there would have to be some. Um, then Billy shows up and Billy is there to be the messenger. He's there to tell Jack that Victor has issued this blackmail statement. Either you give Newman Enterprises back to him or he's going to tell the press about everything. But Billy didn't know about the hooker part. He just thought it was the drug addiction that Victor was going to expose. But no, Jack had to stand there and tell Billy that he was involved with this hooker. And it was so... It was so hard. You know, Jack wants to be a great big brother and a, and a role model. He should be the head of the family. His whole job after John died was to be the new John. And he's let... So he's let it all down. He's let that all go to hell. And Billy was actually really understanding. Billy has had his fair share of indiscretions. And as a matter of fact, Billy knows all too well about Victor setting him up for them. So Billy was right away like... You don't have to explain. Victor set you up. I get it. And Jack just starts to really evolve past all of the blackmail and all of the issues. He's tired of running. He's tired of covering up. He's tired of trying to keep everything together when it's going to fall apart anyway. So Billy tells him what Victor's blackmail is all about. And Jack just decides, you know what? I don't really care if Victor tells the press. I just don't care. And in fact, Jack decided that, no, he's not really, he's not going to give up control of Newman Enterprises to Victor, but he is going to walk away from Newman Enterprises, and he wants Billy and Adam to take over the company. He's not going to have anything more to do with it. <sighs> that sounds really good and really redeeming for Jack, but I'm sorry, all I can think is how long is that going to last? Devon is clearly not happy working at Jabot. He has a music background. All Devon has ever wanted to do his entire life is work in music, and now he's working at a corporate job at a cosmetics firm. He's clearly not happy, and Tucker sees that. And Tucker wants to become close with Devon. Tucker initially started trying to mend fences with Catherine, and Catherine told him, if you want to mend fences with me, you have to mend fences with your son. So Tucker goes to Devon and offers him a job at McCall in his music division, which Devon probably should have jumped at, if not for the bad blood between them. Devon straight up tells Tucker that he would rather work with his real family. He'd rather work with his real family than in a job that's way more suited to him. And, gosh, I... Devon is so judgmental most of the time. I don't even remember what it was that Tucker did to make Devon hate him this time. There's been so many times of Devon and Tucker trying to get close, and then Tucker does something to screw it up, and Devon's mad at him. I guess it was, I, if I can remember, it was the whole Sharon thing and the Newman Enterprises thing, and I guess that made Devon mad at him. But, you know, Catherine actually had a talk with Devon and tried to... She's going soft on Tucker. She was trying to get Devon to forgive him or to let him in a little bit because 
you know, as much as I'm not a huge fan of Tucker at this point, everything that he did with Sharon was, it didn't have anything to do with Devon. And as nice as it is to want, you know, want to be with your quote-unquote real family, he's still your father. You can't erase that. So I guess that's kind of the theme of Tucker's life right now. So this week, <laughs> Murphy's back. <laughs> Yay! Murphy and Catherine are hanging out at the athletic club, having a nice little meal. There's some Latin music playing in the background. Have you guys noticed we have a jazzy little Latin tune playing in the background at the athletic club lately? I've noticed it for the past couple weeks. <laughs> but it's just, they was using it a lot. They were using it a lot this week, and I wanted to be sure to mention it. So Murphy and Catherine being all cute, having their little dinner. When Tucker walks in, like the turd in the punch bowl, like their good time stopped immediately. And Murphy was really, really harsh on Tucker. He realizes that Tucker has put Catherine through a lot and Murphy's very protective of her. And I don't know about you, but I was like, yeah, Murphy, hell to the yeah. Go ahead. Protect Catherine. Tucker's such a jerk. So Murphy is giving Tucker the blow off when guess what happens? Murphy starts choking. He chokes on whatever he's eaten. Tucker comes up behind him to save the day. Tucker gives <laughs> Murphy the Heimlich maneuver, maneuver. The Heimlich maneuver. <laughs> the Heimlich maneuver and saves Murphy's life. And now Tucker is a hero to Catherine. <sighs> Seriously? I about died when Murphy started choking. It's so irritating. It's like Tucker has been a complete asswad since Ashley left. And now all of a sudden they're just throwing in a little saving Murphy's life. And I'm supposed to forgive him for everything and just like like him again. I accept him. But it doesn't mean I'm going to think he's a hero or something. I just thought throwing that in there, that whole thing just seemed lame. To me, it was just like, bleh. Uh, I mean, one piece of gristle and suddenly Tucker's a saint? I, I just, I don't buy it. I, I can forgive him, but don't, it's not, I'm like, I'm thinking he's some kind of freaking hero. Well, Catherine is, is of course, extremely, extremely grateful to Tucker. She's been trying to forgive him anyway, and now she's really, really, really grateful. So Catherine and Murphy leave, but Catherine conveniently forgot her phone at the restaurant, and she had to come back for it, and she and Tucker shared the more moments. She's really grateful, and she breaks down about how she loves Murphy, and she just, you know, he's, Tucker saved his life, and she doesn't know what she'd do without him, and, you know, it was just a very tear-jerkery scene. Um, and all clearly supposed to build up to Tucker's redemption. We're supposed to start liking him again because Victor shows up and he and Victor are getting all buddy-buddy. Did you guys catch? There was this like conversation between Victor and <laughs> Tucker about French architecture or something. It was something just so random. Like, apparently they both have an appreciation for French architecture. So now, you know, we're supposed to just really enjoy this now. Now, even Victor's, con you know, enjoying Tucker. Even Victor's forgiving Tucker, which it just was, it's so obvious. It feels so tacked on. And I guess I just 
don't like that it feels inconsistent. But whatever, a couple of weeks ago, Tucker had offered to sell Victor his stock in Newman Enterprises. And now that Tucker and Victor have met up again, the offer still stands. Tucker says, look, I'll sell you half my shares of Newman Enterprises so that you can, you know, get back control of your company. And Catherine was really pushing him to do it. She even said, why don't you sell them all of your stock? And I just don't understand. Catherine is presenting it like... If you want to give, if you want to be redeemed, sell Victor back that stock. Like, why does that have to be the olive branch? It's just, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit with me. I don't know what it is. It just feels the whole thing is about trying to redeem Tucker before he leaves. We all know that the actor is leaving. And now all of a sudden, they should have been doing this like a month ago before I got sick of him. (laughs) Now it's just all about let's love Tucker and let's feel sorry for him. He's having a conversation with Catherine about how after, you know, Ashley was the only one in Genoa City that he ever really connected with. And even just days, days after she left him, he was walking around in his house and he realized the echo of his footsteps. And he had a realization that he really wanted to turn his life around so that he didn't end up lonely. Well, then what the hell happened with Sharon? If you were having that realization after Ashley left you, then what prompted you to go and... Bait Sharon. Put Sharon into this new Enterprise's takeover. It's just... And Jill. If Ashley's the only one you ever really connected with and you were feeling really bad about that, what was the whole thing with Jill? I don't get it. I don't get it. I am over Tucker at this point, but at the same time, I think I'd like to see Tucker go out with a bang, not on a cross. Summer is sick, and so Phyllis goes home to be with her, and she shows up at Nick's house, and Avery is there. It's early in the morning, (laughs) and Avery is there. Avery and Nick are totally together and getting all smoochy-smoochy while Phyllis is in the room. And I just, I don't know, I like Nick and Avery, but I thought, it's kind of gross that Phyllis has to watch her sister making out with her husband. Well, ex-husband, actually. The divorce apparently was finalized this week, which I was waiting for that. I mean, for crying out loud, it seems like Avery and Nick have been together forever, and he and Phyllis are still married. So the divorce is final this week, and Phyllis and Nick actually had some time to spend together to talk about it and reflect on it. Their relationship wasn't just uh, a, you know a couple months old. Nick and Phyllis have been together for uh, the better part of the decade, I would say, and it was it's still hard to let go. I mean, they talking, you know, they talked to each other, talked it through a little bit. Phyllis apologized for her actions and, you know, for everything that happened Um, the last time she felt like it really would have worked out, but it was her fault that it didn't, and it was just a very real, and it was just a very real conversation between Phyllis and Nick, and 
gosh, it just got me to thinking. I, I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this, but part of me is not sure that I'm ready for Phyllis and Nick to be over. The opening of Nick's nightclub, The Underground, was a complete bust in more ways than one. It really was. It was so blah. It was blah being there. It was blah watching it. Uh, did you guys notice that for some reason they seem to be filming it with a weird, foggy, smoky lens? Like, the, the whole scene had a weird, foggy, smoky vibe over it. And intentionally, it was soft or something. I don't know if it was intended to make it look smoky or something, but I didn't like it at all. I want to see the scene. I don't need it to be all disrupted for me. It, it just, it wasn't good. Barely anybody was there, for one thing. There, I was expecting it to be a big, grand opening with lots of fashion to talk about. I was ready to have a whole section about fashion here this week. And no, not at all. Like, Avery was giving me a Fred Flintstone leopardy, you know, sparkly sequin leopardy dress, <laughs> which I don't know. I did really don't see Fred Flintstone as couture, but <laughs> apparently it is. Uh... Adriana was is really pretty. She's a really pretty girl. She has an interesting style about her that I kind of like, but I hated the outfit she was wearing. It was like the see-through, I don't know, it was see-through in the stomach area alone, and it just wasn't good. Um, like, I keep thinking, too, why wasn't Chloe at a club opening? Chloe should be first in line getting VIP treatment at a club opening. There just wasn't anybody there. Lily and Roxy were hanging out the bar, but they weren't really wearing anything of note to talk about. I mean, it just, the whole thing was dull. <laughs> so it was very appropriate when the lights went out right in the middle of the opening. The wiring is kaput, and all of a sudden everybody's standing there in the dark. Total fiasco. Nick has to offer everybody free drinks and tell them to come back another night. It just everything about this bar opening has been a complete disaster and everyone left early because there was no lights totally boring i mean the, the biggest thing about this entire event was tyler's ego <sighs> he walked up to nick after everybody had pretty much already left and gave him a very sarcastic nice club kind of vibe like you know there's not really anybody here you really didn't do very good with your marketing and you know as a matter of fact you need me if you had me, this club would have been the hottest thing happening in town tonight, but you don't, so bleh. It kind of, it rubbed me the wrong way. It rubbed Nick the wrong way. Tyler was angling for a job. He's working at Jabot. Why does he even need to be angling for a job? Probably because he needs a backup when Kane fires his ass. But Avery totally bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Asked, she hired him, in fact. She hired Tyler on Nick's behalf. I thought that was odd. Nick seemed not to like him very much, and Avery is apparently now some kind of a partner in the club, which I never got that vibe. I thought it was Nick's club. If there's going to be somebody hiring for marketing, Nick should be the one doing it, and he wasn't. I just, I Tyler really bugs me. Like, I feel like they need Tyler like they need a kick in the head. It's just, if you want somebody to stand at the door and flirt with every woman that walks through, then he's your man, But because so far, that's the only skill of his that I've seen put to use.
Tyler was coming on real strong with Lily and Roxy. He's such a gross ladies' man. It's not even in a good way. It's just slimy and sleazy. And Lily is starting to catch on to it, starting to not appreciate it. And she kind of blew him off. He's come kind of being like, oh, you ladies are so sexy looking at the bar. And Lily's like, yeah, okay, well, goodbye. <laughs> even Roxy was like, who is this guy exactly? And I'm thinking, who does he think he is? That's the thing that bothers me is who does he think he is? He's so presumptuous that he knows Lily and he knows these people's lives. And furthermore, that he's better than them. And it's so, it bugs me. Lily, the the morning after, was at the coffee house on a phone call planning a romantic evening for her and Kane. She was uh, calling in a, a, a hotel room and she wanted to make sure that the room had caviar and, and strawberries in it. And obviously she's creating this romantic uh, evening for them to have sex, 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 sex. <laughs> and Tyler is standing in the background kind of getting up in her phone call, listening to it and then quizzing her about it afterward. And like, as if that wasn't enough, he was kind of making presumptions about their sex life and sort of like kind of openly talking about what Lily likes in bed and what her and Kane's sexy time consists of. This guy is a piece of work. It disgusts me. And Lily was not having it. She was like, I'm not discussing this with you. Bug off. And she continued to plan her romantic evening. And it was it was cute. She had sent Kane on kind of a scavenger hunt. She, you know, left him a clue at the office um, about, you know, going to the athletic club. And she got to the athletic club and <laughs> Noah handed him a gift that Lily had given for him. And it was like a this big tangled mess of uh, red Christmas lights. And Kane realized that that meant he needed to go to Crimson Lights. And he gets there and Lily's waiting for him. And then, of course, they you know go off into their, their little hotel room and have their romantic evening. So it was kind of cute, just their mini scavenger hunt. <laughs> Guess what was at the end of the trail? Neil and Leslie's scenes together are more hilarious than they are sexy to me. I don't know if it's just me, but they're at the office trying to be conservative, trying to not jump each other's bones, and instead it's just coming off awkward, and it's just funny. It doesn't, I don't feel necessarily a huge amount of heat between Neil and Leslie. I think Neil's indecisiveness about women in his life has made it very difficult for him to have relationships. I felt more heat between he and Harmony than I do with him and Leslie. And I like Leslie, but it just seems that the heat is being forced a little bit. And it's so it's just coming off as funny to me. Like, Leslie is leaning over Neil's desk, showing him something on the computer. And he totally looks over at her breasts. He just had a full on eyeball view of her breasts. <laughs> it was funny. She stands back up and kind of starts to trying to, you know, blow it off like, oh, no, I must be professional. And then there was this moment where she was saying something. I don't remember what it was, but she said something like she was liking 
the way that he smelled. And so Neil stands up and starts saying, oh, yes, this is a this is a scent from Jabot's latest line. And he lifts up his wrist to her nose and she smells the scent. And, you know, there's, it's supposed to be this sexy moment where she's smelling his scent. And all I could think was Neil wears per- like cologne on his wrists. <laughs> Do guys do that? Somebody has to let me know. I don't, I did not think that men put cologne on their wrists or, or even like men's perfume or whatever, which do they, is men's perfume called perfume? I don't know. It's cologne, right? But don't they kind of put it on their neck, baby? You know, men don't put it on their wrists. (laughs) I'm imagining Neil just standing there in the mirror in the morning, putting on his perfume. That's so, it's stupid. It's comical. And so that totally took me out of the moment. Um, the only interesting thing in here is there seems to be a little bit of a development about Tyler and Leslie's relationship. Tyler walked in on Neil and Leslie finally giving in to their urges. They're trying so hard to be professional, and yet they decide to suck face in his office with the door open. And Tyler walks in, sees it, and then later he and Leslie have a conversation in the hall. Sp- supposedly brother and sisterly conversation where, you know, Tyler's like, oh, you haven't gotten, why, you know, why are you not just getting involved in him, with him? And Leslie is trying to deny that she has feelings for Neil. And she asks him, you know, he, she said something like, you know, I can't get involved with anybody, Tyler. And she, and then something like, he said, well, why, why haven't you, you know, why are you not getting involved with him? And then she said something like, well, why aren't you getting involved with anybody else now? Like, why haven't you gotten involved with anyone? Like, there's some kind of secret there. Like, some Something happened where, and I don't know, I don't get it. It was just this mysterious little scene where it seemed like they were both trying to avoid relationships for a specific reason. And I'm just theorizing here. I like, is it possible that Tyler and Leslie were part of some kind of like, con team gone wrong like maybe they were conning people and so they had to stay emotionally disengaged and weren't allowed to get involved like maybe they were gonna marry somebody for their money or I don't know something weird there or even like I think this would be even better the better twist for me would be like what if Leslie and Tyler aren't even brother and sister what if they're like married Noah is tending bar at Nick's club, which is so funny. He has so much more potential. He shouldn't be tending bar. He should be working at Newman. But instead, he shows up for the opening in his dorky little bow tie and vest uniform. (laughs) It was kind of cute, I guess. But before he left for the club opening, Adriana shows up at his house once again. And she's dressed to the nines. She wants to go to the party with him. And he tells her, no, stay away. Stay away from the party. Stay away from me. (laughs) Just go. And she follows him anyway. She shows up at the club. Of course, nobody knows what she looks like. Nick doesn't know what Adriana looks like. He only knows her name. So it's kind of this sexy little moment where she keeps showing up, you know, for him. And after the lights went out at the club and everybody vacated, it was just he and Adriana left and they started smoochy smooching and it was kind of (laughs) hot. Noah ended up taking her upstairs into what's presumably Nick's office and nailed her. (laughs) 
fuck? Of course, he, he like, felt bad about it the next day. But then uh, he couldn't help himself. She came back over to the house the next day, and he nailed her then, too. (laughs) It's kind of hot, I will admit. I have sort of been feeling those scenes. Like, the actress who plays Adriana... Um, I really like her style. I think she's really beautiful. And I think we, I would like to have somebody like her on the show. Kind of funky, just really cute. But, like, she's not that great of an actress. Oh, sorry. Um, she's just not that believable. She's just so young, and that's the only reason. She just seems young, and, like, she is not as experienced. Uh, but I am enjoying the scenes. Like, in Nick's house, her and Noah are making out, and it was kind of hot. Like, Noah is sort of growing on me. He is kind of hot the more I watch him. Like, they're making out, and he totally grabbed her butt during the makeout scene. <laughs> really something there it made me raise an eyebrow but after this lovemaking scene she's up in Noah's room recovering from <laughs> the mind-blowing sex they've just had and Noah comes downstairs and starts going through her purse and he finds a bank statement it's a bank statement under someone else's name and it has like ten thousand dollars in the account so what the heck is up with that? He com- She comes downstairs, catches him. He confronts her about it. She says, oh, it's my friend's account. Uh, yeah, sure, your friend's. I'm just holding it for a friend. Please. Total lie. He- Noah starts to realize she's lying to him about, you know, if she's lying to him about this, she can be lying to him about everything, which is exactly how I feel. I feel like nothing that she said is necessarily true. She could be lying about everything. And so Noah has no reason to trust her, yet he's totally attracted to her. He is so reminding me of his father these his, these days. It's, it's just so apparent. Noah is just like Nick. He loves sleeping with disaster. Okay, my podcast peeps. I hope everybody has had a really good week. I am the two. It's weird. The two storylines I think I'm probably most excited about are Jamie. Everything is going on with Jamie and Finn, and also the Noah stuff. It's like the newer characters are compelling to me a little bit more than the old standbys, which is weird. So, like sometimes I feel like. Everything that's going on at Newman Enterprises and Jabot is sort of becoming convoluted. I don't understand it as well. I find that it there's just it's almost too much going on. It's crisscrossing and nothing really ever means anything. It feels confusing. I don't know if you guys feel that way at all, but the younger storylines feel a little bit more fresh. Um, it's just nice seeing you know some new faces and some new storylines and not always the same old freaking stuff repeating itself. But I mean, I do feel compelled by those couple of storylines, and that's keeping me hanging on because there are some snooze fests <laughs> that are also on the show right now. But you know, overall, of course, I'm enjoying it, and I hope that you guys are too. And if you want to call in and leave me a comment, let me know what you're thinking about this week's show. You're totally welcome to. Um, my voicemail number is area code 309-588-4569. That's within the U.S., so it's country code 1 if you're not within the U.S., or you could go to my blog and leave me a comment there. The address is yrchatblog.com. 
www.blogspot.com. Or you can always send me a direct email. My email address is yrchat at live.com. So any way you would like to contact me, please feel free. I want to say a quick shout out to my friend Mary Kay, who left me a voice message this week. And I'm keeping that one to myself. It was very special to me, and it made me feel very good. Um, And I just want to say thank you to her. And thanks to everybody for all of your comments and all of your love. I love you so much. And don't forget, there is not going to be a show on Monday. Uh, If you're within the U.S., there's no Monday show. But if you're in Canada, I think you will have a Monday show. So it'll be a short week next week, uh, but I'm going to be back next Sunday to chat again about all four of the shows that we'll have. So everybody have a great week. I love you lots, and I'll see you next time. Bye!